1: He
2: needs to score to keep this going. LaFerrier to his left coming in on Levi. LaFerrier to the doorstep. Turned aside. And the Huskies have won the 70th beap. Devin Levi Tournament MVP. We'll talk a little sabers with Marty Baran. Usually we talk to Don Granado Tuesdays at 8, but they're on the West Coast, so we've uh, moved the Sabres head coach a little bit later in the week. We bring in the uh, the media mogul himself, Martin Biron, joining us on the Western Hotline. After a, uh, a late one last night, uh, first we had the Devin Levi game, and then uh, right after that, you had the Sabres and Kings. Good morning, Marty.
3: Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. I wanted to talk
2: to you about Levi to start, if that's okay. You know, maybe some Sabres fans got their first look at him uh, an ESPN game last night, the Bean Pot. He's um he's interesting. He's obviously really good. Maybe the best goaltender in college hockey, or the best goaltender in college hockey. He Won that award last year. Went back wanting to play with that pressure. MVP of the Bean Pot tournament. To me, the the most interesting thing about him is the is the style he plays, Marty. You, you know, the league blew up into six foot six goaltenders and he's six foot oh, which is um you know, small by the new goalie standards.
3: Well when you look at the National Hockey League, there's not a lot of six foot tall uh goaltender. You're right, they're all six two, six three and above. 6'4", uh, six four, six five is is what you kind of look for now. But uh, UC Soros of the Nashville Predators is a six-foot-tall goaltender that plays very, very much, or I should say Levi plays very much like UC Soros. Extremely athletic, very flexible, uh, very quick when it comes to movement and reaction time, reflexes. Uh, But more importantly, and I was texting with uh, my buddy David Legio who – uh, he does he 's a former goaltender and does goalie training as well and he was talking about how precise his his positioning is his movements are, like when he goes back to the post, uh, you know a lot of time goaltenders will have to readjust their foot on the post to make sure that they 're anchored properly. He always seems to be like precise right so um, I always say if you 're six foot tall right now and you 're a goalie, you have to be elite in something to make it to the NHL, right? UC Saros, elite in quickness, elite in reaction time, elite in athleticism and strength. Uh, I think Devin Levi has the same core value as, as UC Saros, and that's why he's elite at the college level. I think it's going to translate to uh, you know a, an NHL career now it's just to see if it's going to be an elite NHL career or not but uh, we saw it in development camp this summer um, he's a special one and, and one that the Sabres are excited about
2: when it comes to some of those highlights from last night you know it's funny Marty I I found myself thinking if you lose in a shootout it is what it is you know Goaltenders these days, you are required to play in shootouts in the regular season. And I just don't know if I'm supposed to evaluate a guy based on the shootout. That said, he stopped all three shooters or forced them wide, so I was encouraged. <laughs> you know, like if it went south, okay, fine, not a big deal. But he made all the stops. He also made a heck of a stop in overtime. Squared up with the shooter, Puck comes out three on three and makes a a, a pad save with what? Is like left foot? which you could speak yeah, to... Did
3: you see how far he was outside of the crease on y- that one? Y- yes. Like, like, he realized, like, Wait, this shooter is mine. I'm going to take an extra step. He was two feet outside of his crease, and he did react very quickly with the left leg. That's the quickness I'm talking about. And people think quickness is, is about reflexes, and you're recognizing where the shooter's going to go. Part of it is that, yes. But for me, like, I just keep talking to young goaltenders about core strength, core strength, core strength, flexibility, do yoga, do Pilates, do all of that. Because to release your left leg quick like this and precise like this, and it wasn't like he read it and anticipated it, he waited and then boom, the leg was kicked. Um, That is very impressive. I, I didn't have that.
2: Marty Baron joining us on the Western Hotline.
1: The I've been thinking, Marty, about Levi and like timelines and like how long it can take goaltenders, and I'll bring up how like Ryan Miller took five, six years and how Linus Allmark with the Sabres took a lot a long time to get here before he became the starter. You're actually one of the exceptions, maybe, of guys that got there early. When I'm thinking about that with Levi, should his size play into that? Like, should I be thinking that he might not be one of these guys that takes four or five years to develop because he's not you know, some 6'5 guy that's a project and needs to work on, you know, his entire game.
3: Well, that's a fair point. Like, usually if you have a 6'5, six, 6'6 six, six goaltender, maybe you drafted him or maybe you signed them because you think, oh, there's some development that we can put in, but look at that size. With Devin Levi, and it goes to the Sam Reinhard trade, and even before that I was talking to some of the uh, the Panthers' front office people, and they're like, this guy has all the tools already. He was 17, 18 years old, and you could tell that he had all the tools. It was just a matter of could he do it at the next level, right? Like, he didn't play the conventional route of a Montreal goaltender to play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and then turn pro at 20 or whatnot. No, Devin Levi waited a next year of midget AAA then he played in the CCHL, which is in the Ottawa region, uh, Junior A uh, for a year, which he did really well with Carlton Place. Then he went to Northeastern. and So it's not the conventional route. So I think originally people were thinking, well, is he going to be able to do it? And then when they saw him in person, because you really need to see him live to really appreciate it, then you realize, oh, he's, he's that good.
2: Marty Baron, Marty, last night's game, Sabers. Um, you know, it's another loss. It's another well explosion of goals and another set of goals that kind of come in bunches. Are you seeing anything different with the way the teams are playing? This team.
3: Um, I see my issue with last night, and I understand. Listen to all the postgame game sound, and even Don Granato says, "Well, we played a really good first period. Not a lot of scoring chances either way." and we needed to be patient, and all of a sudden the shorthanded goal and the power play goal really set us back, and we didn't recover from it. I get that. I have not liked the first period against Carolina. I have not liked the first period against um, the Flames. I have not liked the first period now against the L.A. Kings. Now it becomes a pattern, and that pattern has to be rectify it because you're not going to win games if you don't play well in the first period. Normally you got to set the tone. And I felt like, yeah, it wasn't a bad period of hockey if you want to play a 0-0 game, if you want to play a 1-1 game. But what we've been accustomed to the Sabres this year is they play with pace, they play with energy, they create some offense. I mean, after two periods last night, the scoring chances were 7-5 to for L.A. Like, the Sabres had five scoring chances in 40 minutes. Now, did they give up much? No. But still, you're down four nothing, and you only have five scoring chances. So, that's my issue. Is I feel like the Sabers, in the last three games, coming back from that trip where they went to Dallas, St. Louis, Winnipeg, and Minnesota. I feel like they lost their identity. They lost what made them good. Maybe it's because of Tage Thompson's injury. Uh, the top line wasn't wasn't able to carry a certain you know load in the game, but. Um I feel like we're not seeing the identity that we're accustomed to with the Sabres.
1: Thompson gets moved to what we'll call it the second line just in terms of ice time for last night's game and then he did play a little with Tuck and, and Skinner uh, as the game progressed, but how how have you felt about how Granado has kind of worked with his lines throughout the year? He always seems to work his way back to the, the four lines that we'll, we're most accustomed to seeing. But I feel like last night might have been the first game where I noticed at the beginning of a game he had he jumbled things up.
3: So he had a really nice play on his first shift. He had actually created a turnover at the Sabres blue line to be able to go on the attack. And then after, I think it was the second shift maybe, L.A. came in on a three-on-one. The shot went wide. Thompson picked it up. And now they're on a three-on-two. And he has the speed. And I feel like you didn't know what to do with the puck. With Skinner and Tuck, you would have known. Like, Thompson would have either come in wide uh, or delayed, dropped it to Tuck. Like, I felt like there was no chemistry in that line, especially the Thompson-Middlestat-Oposo line. Uh, now, when uh, Skinner was suspended, they did put Stat with Thompson and Tuck. And, you know, from what I was gathering is that, well, Thompson wanted to play with Middlestat, and I wonder if you know when the lines got changed a little bit, if Thompson didn't say, "Well, yeah, let me try it with Mitzi. Let's see what we got." Everybody really likes Middlestat, and and he's got great skills, but I I don't see it really translating into chemistry with Tage Thompson. So I I kind of was. We t- we joked about it before the game with Rob Ray, and we said, "How long before the lines go back to normal?" And Ra- Razor said, and I said the same thing, "Half a game, <laughs> like by the third period, we'll be back to normal lines, right?" And obviously, the score dictated that, but um, you know, it was, it-, it just didn't look right.
2: Marty, what's you know, as we approach the deadline, the deadline doesn't necessarily have to be buy, sell, blah, blah, blah about this year. It can be about longer term answers. And I guess my question is. As we talk about what this team needs next, what is the next roster piece that will push them forward a bit? I, I think a lot of fans, and you might agree, that what they need is to get older and get a little more maturity and have, you know, have guys like Power and Cousins continue to grow into who they will be. But from a roster standpoint, like what's the next piece that will help push them forward that they really have, should identify as something that they need?
3: So I was very, very... Uh, pushing the defenseman like uh kind of need for an extra defenseman for depth. Uh, you know, Samuelson has gotten banged up this year. The Bushkin has gotten banged up this year. Yoki Aru has gotten banged up this year. So if you're going to make that playoff push and if you're going to be in the playoff, uh, you'd need defenseman depth. Now, that would still be my answer talking about this season. Long term, I feel like you need another centerman. And I'm not saying a top two center. You have Thompson, you have Cousins. They're, they're getting paid seven plus million each. Um, they're going to be your one and two. But, and I think Tyson Jost has been really good. And Tyson Jost probably is more suited as your Fort Line centerman. And he kills penalty and he's got quickness and energy. And I've liked that. But if Tage is not going, I feel like you're putting everything on Dylan Cousins and there's nobody else to pick it up. And if Dylan is not going, you're putting everything on Tage Thompson. There's nobody else in the middle to help out, right? Everybody was hoping that Casey Middlestat was going to be this other centerman that you could go, well, possibly Tage, Cousins, Middlestat. Maybe it's Peyton Krebs. uh, But I'm not seeing that clearly right now. So short-term defenseman depth. Uh, long term, I think you'd have to look at your forwards and get another center to uh, to round up this one, two, three that you could have with the Sabers.
1: If the season kind of stalls a little bit here, Marty, and you know they've been caught by Detroit, they're tied in the standings now with the Red Wings. Ottawa is kind of working their way back into the mix a little bit. I guess if they if they do miss the playoffs and it's by you know maybe 10 points instead of like two or three like we might have been hoping hoping i i guess if they start strong and end a little bit poorly which is kind of the opposite of what we've seen in past years like how how do you think we should feel about the season i guess really that question just comes down to for you how much is on the line in the next month and a half when thinking about the long term with this team
3: well i mean for us i i'm a week by week day by day kind of guy so uh, yeah i i, I don 't like the losing three i don 't like the losing one right so you got to focus on that one. What happened? How do you fix it uh you 're going into Anaheim tomorrow uh you win at Anaheim all of a sudden it's better you 're in a better place you 're one on one on the road trip you got San jose coming up you're you keep climbing up uh, but the long term picture i don 't think is going to be defined this year by if you make the playoffs or not. And I, I understand that's hard uh, to sell to the fan base um, because it's been 12 years and, you know, they're right there. They're knocking on the door of making the playoffs. But if you're Kevin Adams and if you're Don Granado, like your success or failure of the season does not hang in the playoff balance. Uh, before the season started, you know, we put a poll on Sabres live, like, is Vegas had the over-under at 81 or something like that, 81 and a half points. Where do you feel? Everybody was saying over. But is 90 points a successful season? Is 94? It still doesn't get you in the playoffs. Uh, But I guess it's how it happens, how you get uh, to develop your players. Um, So you you can all kind of do a uh, recap of the season at the end of the year and see if it was a successful season or not right now they're in it so for me a successful game is win the game tomorrow and then move on to the next one and last night well you know you can lose and have a successful game but last night was not it calgary was not it carolina was not it so that's that's where i'm at this 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 week and i'm thinking well this is not the way it should be going
2: marty baron joining us on the western hotline all right marty next up anaheim a late game again. Sabers after dark continues this week, and uh, hopefully they can get things back on track.
3: Yeah, hopefully they do. Anaheim is not a good team, no. and this is to me uh, a very, very pivotal game uh, for the Sabers as to show me right, like show me. Like the rest was dallying post game last night. We competed. You know, we got away from our game in the second period, but we competed in the third period. I understand, but it's it's for nothing. Right, it it became five nothing. Like that's easier to compete, and you don't have to worry about anything. The game is out of hand. Uh, Don Granado said, "Well, you know, I I think we we uh, we didn't have a good response after the two nothing goal, the power play goal. Okay, well, show me against Anaheim, which is a team that." I mean, they had a pitiful third period against the Vegas Golden Knights the other night. It was two-one. They ended up losing, giving them up five, I think, in the third. Um, show me against Anaheim. If if I'm gonna believe what you said post game that the effort was there, the compete was there, um, you just didn't have a good response after the two nothing goal. Like show me. I want to see it. If they do that, then I'll believe it. But if they come out with a flat first period against Anaheim, then we've got some big issues.
2: Indeed, thanks, Marty. Thank you, guys. Marty Baron, big issues if they keep losing. Want to stay in this race, you know? Just hang around. Want this? Wanted this to be a real race, and right before the All Star break, it was win to get into a spot, and now it's going to take work to do that again. If they win, it's two weak opponents. Just don't misstep,
1: right? And you are in the race. Could they could it feel like they're out of the race by the end of this trip even? It'll feel like they're falling out. They won't yeah. be out of it. But they win the next two, you know, and they're 4 points out and they're still they still got the games in hand math on Washington and Florida and the Islanders just don't lose that. And if you lose to Anaheim and San Jose or even one of the two for how bad those teams are, especially the Ducks, it's going to feel like they're going to fall out of it. Yeah. Not not ideal. They could also just rip off a six game win streak at any point. Don't we feel like they're capable of that?
2: Well, they've because
1: 'cause they've done it twice, I yeah, guess is why yeah. you'd
2: think they're capable of it. It's gonna come back when Thompson gets hot again? Are we are we kinda at that? Yeah, but am I kind of
1: right in assuming he will get hot again?
2: Probably. <laughs> Probably. He's
1: not lately. He's not even looked to me like the same player. But he was dealing with a back injury, so you know, how healthy is was he before the break. Um I don't know. I, I think I'm good. I think I, I feel comfortable
2: in counting on him to get hot again. Well so all right, break 8030550 if you'd like to join us, one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty to uh, be a part of the show. Jeremy White, Sneaky Joe. I put a Twitter poll up about the Bills being on the Chiefs level. I'm gonna get to some of the responses and we'll talk a little bit about how the how the Bills season ended. Whether or not it's got you kind of crossed up, you know? And we'll keep playing mixtape music for... Yes. <laughs> Val- Happy Valentine's Day. We'll be back.